I'm David Clayton, and this is the Way of Beauty podcast, conversations on Catholic faith and culture. I'm with my friend Charlie Deist, who is not only the technician, he also keeps me on track with occasional questions and timely summarizations. This is episode 24, Singing the Psalms. All right, David, so we are back uh, after a few week hiatus uh, to our series on the cloister and the cul-de-sac. And today we're talking about the Psalms and uh, the the main topic for, for today, I think we're going to spend most of the time going over the Liturgy of the Hours and how people can incorporate this into their own daily routine. People who are outside of uh, an established order or you know priests who are expected to say the Liturgy of the Hours throughout the day. Uh, this is something that lay people can also adopt. So first of all, can you just tell me what the Liturgy of the Hours is? Yes. So this is recapping some things we've covered in the past, but it doesn't do any harm whatsoever to just to cover that material. It is uh, a uh, effectively the chanting of the Psalms over a, a pattern that extends across uh, the days and the hours. And so... At the core of it uh, are the 150 psalms, and the hours, uh, there can typically be up to eight in the day, um, and uh, it's set intervals where there's a certain flexibility, and we talked about this last time, uh, psalms are sung, and uh, so the, the, the Psalter is uh, divided up into schemas that allow people to do that. and. Traditionally, uh, this was done um, according to different needs, um, the, the rhythm of the community, the life of the community. And as you mentioned, we're interested really in people who are not part of a religious community. Uh, that's what I have in mind, but it's people like you and me who are interested in doing this, but uh, we're, we're lay people who are, just want to incorporate it into our lives. Um, so I think just a little bit again about the, the importance of the, of the psalms uh, in the Liturgy of the Hours. So the Liturgy, of course, is the, the worship of God, and at the, its heart is uh, the Sunday worship, which is the Mass, uh, or if you're in the Eastern Church, the, the Divine Liturgy. And what really this is, is, is an extending out across the days, across the week, um, of that um, beating heart, if you like, of the worship of God on Sunday, it, it takes it out into the days and then in each day across the hours. And so um, it, is all, it is powerful and effective even for those who don't go to Mass. So it, it's authentically liturgical, say, for Protestant Christians. Or it's, and it's, it's actually very powerful ecumenically because Bible... Uh, Christians, Bible-based Christians, uh, I mean that in the sense of the Protestant idea of it, um, generally won't object to uh, praying from the Bible, from the Psalms. So, um, But the, it, the great value of the Psalms is they're meant to be sung, they're written for prayer, um, and also they have a poetic form to them which um, is engaging and transforming. I, I would say um, and Thomas Aquinas said that it's the most important book in the Bible I, I think that's what he said it, it's 
because it contains all the theology. It, uh, salvation history is contained within it in the themes that it has up to that point. And it also anticipates Christ. So Christ on the cross was uh, quoting the Psalms and, and the Gospels do this all the time to show that Christ is the fulfilment of what uh, is, is promised in the Old Testament and the, somehow the, the Psalms manage to um, contain both uh, within themselves. So um, it, they are a f powerful um, in, in our prayer. And so that's why they're at the heart of the liturgy. I've heard this other term, the divine office, but I couldn't tell you what that is, if it's something different than the liturgy of the hours, or if it's just a different name for the same thing. Well, in my mind, it's the same thing. I mean, maybe people can point to some sort of technical difference, but it's, it's just another word for the same thing. So an office is an hour, uh, if we call it that. So uh, I think the office is the name given to the particular... Uh, occasion of worship like lords or vespers uh, whereas a liturgy of the hours is a, a generic description for the whole thing together yeah uh, so yeah so there's kind of a general format for praying it throughout the day maybe there are five different times that the day is broken up into where where you you might break for prayer or you said sometimes it might be eight different intervals yes but, uh, um, so uh, eight would be what monks do in the in the fullness of it. So the rule of Benedict, for example, uh, quoting the psalmist said seven times a day, I'll, we will praise you and we will rise at midnight to praise you as well. Um, so it, to do it just once is to participate in the, that full expression of the worship of God, which the church does uh, for the people. That, that's what liturgy means. It is a a work for the people um, and uh, that doesn't mean the whole people do it necessarily we, we each play our part but uh, we're not all meant to do all of it um, but nevertheless to participate in those aspects that we are properly meant to is a good thing um, and so we're thinking of lay people here and so I, I have come up with a, a program which I do and I'm suggesting, uh, no one has to adopt this, it's just, this is a good starting point, I think, for those who are interested, um, which is based upon morning prayer, evening prayer, um, and then through that you could sing all 150 psalms, and then the idea is that gradually you add um, more offices, which where you can just mark the hour with a prayer or with a, a psalm, just a short psalm, um, I actually do more psalms um, in the middle of the day as well. I have a schema, and I'm going to post this the schema for this um, on on the uh, on the blog. Uh, so, so I'm not going to describe that in, in detail. But uh, what I thought I would do is just describe the principles by which I've organised this and where I get it from. Um, so, uh, my friend who, who teaches at Pontifex University, Father Sebastian Carnazzo, who we've mentioned in the past, great scripture teacher. Um, he uh, devised a, a, a very, what he called prayer, a short prayer book for Melkites. He's a Melkite priest, Byzantine uh, uh, Catholic. Um, and 
he said that he did this by looking at uh, the history of the Liturgy of the Hours and tracing its development. So like everything else, Christianity began in the Middle East and then gradually spread out across the Christian world. And as it did so, the liturgy organically and uh, developed. And that's true of the Liturgy of the Hours as well. And so he was looking for common patterns, East and West, um, that might be a sort of starting point for a basic skeleton to, to which we could add other things like the canticles, for example, of the, the New Testament, things like the Magnificat, the Prayer of Mary. Or the, there, there are other Old Testament canticles that are not Psalms that, that appear in Isaiah or Moses or uh, the Song of Hannah, for example, um, that uh, are, are quite often sung as well. And so you can add these things to that skeleton. Now, he read, a, he uh, told me that he, he got this from, uh, or beginning with a book by, written by someone called Robert Taft, who I think was a Jesuit, in fact, but uh, very well respected in East and West. And he wrote a book called um, something like the, the Liturgy of the Hours, East and West, in which he traces its, its development and so I, I sat down and re read this and I, I was um, talking to Father Sebastian about this as I was doing so uh, but it, it really is very interesting so what he describes is two different approaches to how you lay out the Psalms ac across the the hours however many you do so um, in the early days, in the, in the monasteries, the approach was just to begin at the first one and just go through the one after the other chronologically, if you can say that, one to 150, and just fill out the hours. Um, so if you did it in a day, you'd do it in, in a day. Uh, if you do it in a week, you just do one after the other in a week. Interestingly, St. Benedict in his rule, so this is... Uh, quite late in this process, we're talking about the early years of the church, um, talks about how um, he doesn't feel that he can ask monks to pray all 150 psalms in a day. He said, people in the past used to do this, but we can't do this. We can only do 150 in a week. And 150 in a week is seems a pretty tall order to most people today, I think. I mean, you, it's, the, it's the stricter Benedictine monasteries that will do a, a weekly cycle. Uh, I'm not doing a, a weekly or a daily cycle of the Psalms. I'm aiming to do 150 in a month, um, according to the Angl Anglican Ordinariate uh, cycle, uh, with just through morning prayer and evening prayer. And the approach of that is... Uh, that monastic approach. You start at the beginning and day one you do the first few psalms in the morning, then you do the next ones in the evening and so on, day two, day three. Now the other way of organising the psalms is to have certain psalms which seem appropriate for certain hours of the day. So typically, for example, Psalm 62 uh, or Psalm 62, bracket 63, um, will be said in the morning. And then Psalm 140 or 141, according to which uh, numerical system you use, 
is called the lamp lighting psalm it's sung in the evening um, and then psalm 50 might be sung at bedtime and so what you can do is have a combination and that and normally that's what people end up with is a combination of certain songs which are said regularly to mark the hours while filling the gaps if you like with by systematically working your way through okay um and so that's that's the the pattern that we have that i've tried to stick to certain psalms at certain hours which are commonly sung so ones that refer to the morning for example um while at the same time making sure we cover everything by going through them chronologically okay so we have this format for how they might be spaced out through the day but then within each actual time that you uh, sit down or, or go to to pray the office uh, what else what else is there besides the reading or singing of the psalms that gives it a structure okay so there is there are certain opening prayers um, and morning prayer and evening prayer you'll say the lord's prayer as well um, and uh, also uh, the, the canticles as I mentioned and systematic reading of the scriptures um, so um, you can take the scripture readings for the day for a particular office from a website like Universalis if you, universalis.com um, what I like to do actually for morning prayer is I just have worked out my own cycle basically I'm just going through the whole bible systematically and mm-hmm. I do a long reading um, at the moment, I'm up to Joshua, so I just I do about 20 verses a day for the first reading, and um, then for the second reading, I take the reading from the Church Fathers from the Office of Readings. So I have Scripture and then the Church Fathers, um, and you may say, "Well, what right have you got to do that?" And I, my answer is, "Well, I'm a lay person. I, you know, I can. It's good to read the Bible. It's good to do it systematically." Um, if I was going to form a community and I wanted to uh, a- approval of the church, I would subject this to scrutiny and I look at it. But um, it's I just like the idea of making sure that I read the whole Bible in a liturgical context. My thinking behind that, incidentally, is that um, again through Father Sebastian Carnazzo, we did a course called the Liturgy and the Bible, and we read a book of that title written by another Jesuit, a, a scholar from, I think, the 60s, um, called Danielu, Jean Danielu, um, who talked about, first of all, how the Bible um, is uh, traditionally was not something that was studied as a book um, in the way that we tend to now, you know, reading it, in a chair quietly to yourself as a sort of private study. It could be that, but it really was written to be proclaimed in public. And so it would be read out loud in when people got together. Many people couldn't read, so it needed somebody who could read and then it would be proclaimed. And so this would be done in a liturgical setting. And so uh, it just occurred to me that if it's written with that in mind then um, maybe the best way to be receptive to the truths that it contains 
is to is to actually sing it in a liturgical setting. So mm. I'm alone in my room. I don't know whether uh, this rings out across the corridors, but I actually sing these twenty verses I uh, each day. Um, and th- what he says also is that the, the the sacramental aspects of the liturgy are contain are all contained within the Bible as well. It's biblical. Um, even the we, as we talked about the pattern of the liturgy eight times a day comes out of the bible so the the bible is the subject matter of our prayer it also contains the template by which we structure it um and so uh that is i had that in mind as i was doing this and so i tried to have a strong emphasis on scripture in this template that i am uh i'm presenting okay so this template is not necessarily something that is uh hard and fast it's not the same thing that's done by everyone who prays the divine office or no i, I mean the, as far as i know i'm the only one at the moment so i'm hoping it might take off if other people are interested uh then they're welcome to do it but it at the moment i might be the only one who's doing it precisely in this way but it is certainly done in accordance with 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 these traditional principles right uh, that i uh, and what it does do is provide a skeleton uh, which people can begin with so that they can start where they are. This is the important thing, I think, with praying the office when you're a layperson is you can't just throw yourself into doing the whole thing at once. Or, or Well, some people can, but I couldn't. Let's put it like that. It, it, I would have been overwhelmed. I'd have, found, I'd have got dis, found, been, I'd become dissatisfied very quickly. So gradually developing the habit. And so this is a, a, a schema that allows for an absolute basic skeleton, the, the, the bare minimum, onto which you can then add more and more as you feel able to into something which then becomes quite full if you really want to, want to do that. What would you say are the fruit that this is born in your life and what can someone who's considering praying this way expect to come out of it in their own life? Well, I, I suppose working on the assumption that other people will get what I've got, which isn't always the case, but uh, that's, uh, we, I think one naturally tends to think it that way. So I can, I can just tell you what, what happened for me. So <clears throat> the first thing is just that as I began, just this conviction that the day went more easily, I, I felt less... The, life was less of a battle somehow you feel in tune with what's going on now what do i mean by that i i i just felt that i got through the day more easily i can't prove anything uh it could be a total delusion you know you could accuse me of that i wouldn't have a way of refuting it um except to say that i've been doing it now for probably 15 to 20 years in one form or another and what the effect that it's had is that the more I do it, the more I want to do it, and the more I feel that it's it's an important part of my day, and I miss it if I don't do it. Mm. The thing that has happened is that gradually I've structured my life around it. So initially I had a pattern of life, and I was trying to find a, a place to insert it. You know, And of course it's very easy to say, I'm going to do this, but uh, one tends to forget that in order to take something on, we've only got the number of days and hours and minutes in a day 
is fixed. So something's got to go. And so I can be reluctant to let something go in order to take something on. Mm. <coughs> so initially I was sort of inserted, you know, it meant getting up earlier in the morning to do the one thing I'd committed to. But I found that as time has gone on, I've actually organized the decisions I make in life according to the thought, well, I want to be able to do this. I want a certain pattern of life which enables me to, to do this on a regular basis. And structure. so I've, I've gone for work situations, for example, that allow a flexibility of time so that I can do this. And it's always a little bit of a leap of faith that if I do this, um, always the pressure is I, I drop the liturgy of the hours I've got to do this because the pressure is on at work or something like that and when it's all hands to the pump you, you do that but as a general principle um, I, I do believe that I, I work more efficiently as long as what I'm doing is in harmony with God's will which is it doesn't mean that it's always a a very holy activity, anything that's just the normal activities of life that are not intrinsically sinful or bad and in accord with what God wants me to, to do, to live my every, you know my everyday existence as a human being, then um, it actually informs those and uh, helps them to go more smoothly. I think I've mentioned this before, but it, it bears repetition. I was struck by P Peter Kraft talking about how prayer is a step into the heavenly dimension. And so he always said that if you step into eternity, you, you, you save time by spending time, that somehow you g grab hold of some time and bring it into the, the temporal mm. sphere. Um, and I'm paraphrasing probably very badly what he said. But it, it had an impression on me that, that, that once you dip into the supernatural, if you trust, um, and again, this has to be done sensibly and balanced, you can, can be taken too far, somehow there is time to, to do the things that one ought to do as well. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that there is a tendency to just have a lot of slack in one's day uh, and and time spent on projects that maybe should not be our priorities and not to say that we're necessarily praying the Psalms with the particular intention of uh, illuminating, you know, reordering our to-do list. But I do think that if we can get into this more kind of harmonious flow that you're talking about, it seems that it would follow naturally that we would be more attuned to God's will and maybe realize that some of the things that we're doing are just that kind of slack in our day and not really the... Uh... Yes, I, I think even if you took it at that, um, approached it as a natural level rather than a supernatural, shall we say, um, just the introduction of discipline and rhythm um, in doing something in that way can spread across into our approach into other things. And I can imagine a psychologist saying that that's how it works. I think, I'm sure that is there too, but this is supernatural. If we believe that this, it's, uh, it's a way of sanctifying the day is what mm. the church tells us. So uh, this happens despite ourselves as well, not just because of ourselves, if we can put it like that. So what about the singing portion? Why do we sing it as opposed to just saying it? Or um, 
Well, it's uh, there's a number of things that occur to me. One, I, at, a, at the simplest level, it's more. I just say it's more satisfying to do it somehow to hear mm. your voice out loud, to be doing it, engaging your lungs. It feels like you're praising God more fully. It's mm. Just, I, I can't put it any more uh, in any more complex way than that. Um, Saint Augustine, of course, did say that if we sing our prayers, we pray twice, and. I think that there's, there is a principle here of engaging the whole person and directing all our faculties towards, in, should we say, in conformity to this principle of the worship of God. So it's not just that I think it, but I say it out loud. Therefore, it engages my thought at a different level, and I have to be engaged and thinking about it in a different way. Um, then I hear it, I, and so others might hear it too. Um, so it's engaging my voice and my hearing and then I always uh, light a well now I've st- light a candle I've just found some great candles actually that, uh, that Carrie Gress who teaches for Pontifex sent me she's just started a business um, Stella Marish she's called it where she uh, offers scented candles with sort of liturgical scents rather than the sort of floral things you get from a uh, you know, a health food store or something. Um, so, I, anyways, the, so the ideal for um, an icon corner, and I, I engage with visual imagery, and I will stand and sit at certain times. I, I must admit, I do tend to sit more than stand. I'm mm. not, I wouldn't. I'm not doing it precisely as I would in church, and I will have a cup of tea with it in the morning as well. <laughs> but. Um, but I'm thinking about those things. I'm trying to engage the whole person and all the faculties. And sometimes, if my mind wanders, if I'm if I'm singing, it 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 stops that distraction in some ways. Okay. Uh, so you referred earlier to this thing about East and West, the Liturgy of the Hours, East and West, the book written by the the Jesuit uh, Robert Taft, and. Can you speak just a little bit more about what that means to be bringing in parts of both the Eastern and Western tradition? What do is there an imbalance for people who are only uh, getting the experience of a Western right Catholicism? Oh no, no, absolutely not. And, and um, I suppose my feeling about this is that well, I just like the idea of starting with a skeleton that has its roots in the early church. Um, but also, it might be, a, if, there's, if, if we're starting somewhere where there's common ground, so it is both Eastern and Western, uh, you never know. This might be a way of Eastern and Western Christians coming together. It might be a, an instrument in some small way of the unity of the church. Of course, th- there are Eastern Christians in the Catholic Church, um, a very important part of the Catholic Church, but uh, we always look across to our Orthodox brethren and hope that some, someday there may be a, uh, a, a unity there. And so, who knows, that might be a way of uh, engaging with them. Um, and uh, so, I, I, I think that and the idea that it has its roots in, um, in the early church appeals to me. In particular, I'm kind of thinking also of this question of how 
these different modes might oh. kind of uh, have an effect on on the people praying them. Oh yes, I'd forgotten about that. Thank you. I, I so I've been learning, and I stress I am not a, a, a musical expert. So I just tend to think uh, you know, my approach is the the Chesterton one. If 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 a thing's worth doing, it's worth doing badly. And I always have the principle. If I can do it at least as badly as anybody else, I might as well do it myself. And so I used to, I was searching for ways of singing the office in English. And there's a, a couple of things here is that I, I loved Gregorian chant. And so I started to adapt that to English. The Anglicans have done that successfully. And so I looked to them for guidance in the Western church, if you like. And so I was delighted when the Anglican Ordinariate was created and it almost made that more official and acceptable as a Catholic, uh, particularly as I'm English as well. I had a certain sympathy towards that. But the other thing that I noticed is that the, the Byzantine churches don't seem to have any difficulty in going to the vernacular at all. The, the, um, so the Melkites, for example, have some connection with through Father Sebastian, um, they are their patriarch is in Antioch, in America. Uh, they realised that um, they couldn't serve as a Syrian and Jordanian and Israeli or Palestinian Arab population uh, of immigrants exclusively. That over the generations they were going to lose people if they stuck to an Arabic liturgy in the in the U.S. So they translated everything into English adapted it to their traditional uh, Byzantine chants, which I, they would say uh, come are Greek in form. So you have uh, a Greek influence or a Slavic influence. In, you tend to have a sort of domination in the Eastern Church. So they're very definitely from the Greek side of it, but very strong Middle Eastern flavour. Um, but they managed very successfully to translate everything into English. The the language is elegant and poetic, uh, something that the Catholic Church didn't seem to manage to do in the context of the liturgy so well, uh, the, the Roman Catholic Church. Um, and their chant just worked really well with it. So I started to look at that. And now what's interesting is that these modes, they're like um, different keys uh, in western music modern western music you have major and minor keys mm. but they're actually they're 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 just two i'm really generalizing it but two of the eight modes that you could have and i won't say but you the, the, it's about how you go up a scale where you have half notes and whole notes the, the potential combinations and in gregorian chant there are eight of them and then in Byzantine chant, there are eight of them as well. But they are different. They're a different set of modes. And I tend to think of these as being the essential patterns of beauty, that the intervals and the combination of notes that you have, those that have persisted over centuries, there are patterns of melody within each mode that characterize it. Um, and the Byzantine ones have this Arabic sound so you know it's, it comes from the middle east but uh, i think that that's because the uh, middle eastern music um the the arabian sound if you like came from 
the conquered Byzantine lands. So it, it probably it might well be Greek in its origin, uh, but it certainly has this eastern this, this different sort of sound to it. Um, and so I've been learning the Byzantine modes and the Gregorian modes, and I just fancy, shall we? I can put it like that. I can't prove anything that it is. Um, giving me these essential patterns of beauty, which could be described numerically. And if you describe them numerically, then you can order time and space according to them. And you, you could then build that into the design of a building, or and I talk about the mathematics of beauty. But the way to impress that upon the, the soul of the person at a deeply intuitive level is to sing those mathematical patterns in the form of beautiful melodies and simple harmonies and so um, I just imagine that not only will it, it, it uh, provide a, a meeting point for East and West and theologically you can see slightly different approaches when you look at the two offices but um, also just the um, if you like uh, parallel patterns of beauty that are both authentically Christian um, and have their root, roots in, in Christ. Hmm. And do you think that this can be kind of a subconscious process for people who maybe also don't uh, have a particular understanding of the underlying theory where just immersing yourself in these uh, tones can make you, almost it's like a synesthesia where the, the crossing of the senses where just having a more intuitive sense of some uh, harmonious audio scale you might have a better visual sense is that your, your yes theory? It, it, it is and um i just feel that if it, it's this is forming the person deeply we're talking about through participation in the liturgy uh and the worship of god of course with the sunday worship at its heart uh, we are changed and the contention of the church is that the liturgy is the most powerful influence on the culture. And the culture is simply the pattern of behavior of um, when you look at a society as a whole. And so um, I would say that most of that pattern of behavior, some of it is planned if an architect is designing a building, but most of us, we go about our daily business in a way that seems natural to us. And so what this is doing is affecting our natural sense. It's, sort of, it's as much affecting the unthinking aspect in which we approach life as the conscious aspect, if you like. Mm. And so I do think it's manifested in that. And I can imagine a, a sort of richer society. And so, uh, yes, I do have these, you know, as you know, I sort of tend to, I start small, but I always sort of extrapolate to what effect this might have. But... I could see a beneficial effect on the culture if people did this. And, yeah. You no, know, and I start with myself, and the moment I'm a culture of one, but you know. Yeah. Know. <laughs> I've got a clip here. This is a Byzantine music scale. I don't know because I haven't listened to it in advance if it's going to be the right tones, but can we listen to it and yeah. see if it's. Okay, I'll bring close to the microphone. Okay, that was great. So that, did you hear that? It sounds, it's do, got that So what you have there is a gap. Um, that, 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 there's a sort of Arabic sound there. Do you, I don't know if you mm -hmm. noticed that. And that's because in the Byzantine scale, sometimes you have 
a jump which is a minor third. In other words, in the Western modes, you only go either a single tone or a half tone. In the Byzantine, you can go one and a half. <laughs> so it, it feels like you're missing out a note, effectively. And da 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 And so the fourth mode in the Byzantine sounds a bit like that. Okay. And it and when you do it fast, it has this sort of Arabic Ara, arabesque feel. Hmm. This is you know, this is the Gregorian mode or a Gregorian mode. I can hear a bit like the the Sole Regina or more familiar that sounds like it might have been the fifth that mode. is the fifth mode good it, ear well it's of course they're it's complicated by the fact that um, some of the organisation is done after the fact it's not as if they when these are passed on through generations and um, the musical theorists didn't arrive on the scene till I don't know start recording writing this down say a thousand AD something like that up to that point it was all passed on and certain patterns just dominated people gravitated towards certain things and so it's as much about it's not just that they're in a particular key but there's it's the set patterns of notes within that key or mode characterizes as well and they are different from east to west and so I imagine all the synapses in my mind sort of it's pushing back new boundaries and this sort of thing. So uh, whether that's true or not, I don't know. We'll see whether I have a sort of flowering of creativity in the next 10 years or something. Yeah. So that's one of the psychological consequences. Uh, we've been doing a version of this. We've been doing the evening prayer here at the convent on Monday evenings as kind of a practice for something that we might eventually take out into the wider world. Uh, but talk about that just in, in relation to what we've already been saying. Yeah, so uh, that that began um, with uh, actually reading about uh, the Benedict the Sixteenth Institute, which is a project of uh, the San Francisco Archdiocese, Archbishop Cordiglione, started a liturgical, an institute of liturgy and culture. And they took a group to San Quentin Prison and uh, have instituted, I think it's a monthly Latin mass. And they took a choir initially, but then said to the prisoners there, if you want this to happen and to be sung on a monthly basis, you're going to have to provide the scola. And as I, if I remember the story correctly, I think 30 men volunteered for the scholar. Um, and that the first practice, 35 turned up or something mm. like that. And so I thought, well, let's, have, let's get a group of men together and actually uh, practice this and do the Liturgy of the Hours in English. And maybe we get into San Quentin prison as well. But that, that's... I've done this in the past at a VA hospital, uh, but it's going and... It, it, the Liturgy of the Hours is the, is the prayer of community. It brings people together. So at so many different levels, this is a good thing. We're praying here in this, this old convent that we live in, you and I, um, and we've got now a little group of... I think there were five of us who were practising on, 
last Monday. So it's built up over two or three months. So what effect does that have? Well, on the five of us, it binds us together in a particular way. We, we're, we're in communion with the church and therefore connected to each other in a particular way, which is beneficial to us. Um, we're praying here in this community, and even those who aren't from the, the, the convent building where we live, there are about a dozen people, I think, something like that, and only two of us, you and I, who live here, were present for the singing, but we're praying effectively for that group of people, and, and it does... I, I really believe that it helps even those who don't participate. It helps to bind them together. Um, now, if we go out into, say, uh, one of the people who was present on Monday said he thought we, that uh, we might go to a homeless shelter, for example, and sing Vespers. Um, now, we would sing it and we would encourage them to join in. We, we've got a, a way of singing it, which is simple and vigorous and masculine. And people can join in easily and we can lead it with strong male voices. And so they would enjoy that, I think, at a superficial level. Um, and generally the response is positive. It has this sort of traditional feel, but it, it, it engages people. You, you've heard the arrangements. Um, but also, we, it would be uh, a work that would bind the five of us together in going out and doing that. But it would help the shelter in ways that go beyond simply that sort of interaction between us and them. I believe it, in a certain way, it, it uh, opens up that institution to the presence of God by our prayer. Um, Always, I hope that it might engage people and draw people to God. Um, and uh, the worship of God uh, is an end in itself, but it's not the only end. Evangelization is a legitimate end for this. Uh, can't be the primary thing. It, it, always the, 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 the main goal is the worship of God, mm -hmm. giving glory to God. Um, but why not engage others with this and um, let them part let others participate in what a glorious thing this is? Yeah. Um, and so uh, that that is the idea behind it, and we'll we'll see where it goes. Do you, yeah. Oh well, when we do the vespers, you also include the readings from the day, which I think you get. You mentioned that website, universalis.com. Yes. And people can, if they're doing this themselves, they can do that. Um, a little bit more just on including scripture readings in addition to the Psalms. If, if the Psalms are uh, sufficient in of themselves, why not just limit it to the Psalms? Why add in these these other readings? Well, I, I think that, uh, that the pattern of, of worship is that there is always scripture in there um, so there are hymns are sung psalms are sung and scripture is pro the word of god is proclaimed um, and that is a standard pattern if you think of the letters of saint paul for example they were sent to the churches in corinth that mm. is it wasn't sent to a bunch of his mates in corinth you know the corinthians or uh, it, it was to the churches and they i believe they were read out in the churches and mm. so that is, they're intended to be read in that way. And so it is, a, it's, again, I always view this as a special opportunity to absorb. If you give the word out in a way that's 
natural for people to receive it, then it will be absorbed more deeply. Mm. Um, and my belief is that scripture is, uh, is written to be um, proclaimed um, and in a liturgical setting it is naturally absorbed. That is not to say, however, that it isn't something that we can study privately as well. And I, I would say my eyes have been opened. I've been a Catholic for 25 years. I've always understood the importance of, of Scripture. Um, but, and I've read it and I've read books about Scripture. But in the last two or three years, I've um, really very much through contact with Father Sebastian Carnazzo, I've begun to appreciate this in a, in a new way and the value of it and its centrality and how uh, salvation history is this grand arc that everything is you know, united under it and we participate in that. And you can get a sense of that through uh, the study of Scripture. Um, and it is a... It's a funny thing that the Psalms seem to refer to the, the grand picture and the, a particular detail that applies to us, uh, the reader. Each of us individually will read it and will be identifying with something that the Psalmist says. Probably you will see something that applies to you, which is different to what I read and I, it's applying to me. And yet through that hook, it's placing us in this grand arc uh, through the gateway of the Psalms into the, the, what the, the, all the scriptures say. And mm. I think um, connecting us to that is, is very, very important. I have a couple thoughts. One, I just want to hear um, what your thoughts are on combining praying the Psalms with some of the other forms of prayer that we've discussed on this podcast, in particular playing with, uh, praying with, with imagery. Uh, and then if you have any interest i don't know if we could pull this off in the in the last minute or two of the podcast but uh could we do an example of a of a psalm or do i guess we don't have the the, the notated versions with the indentations for going up and down but well maybe well if we could just sort of hold the recording i'll run off and get a book and we we, we can sure the magic of editing we can uh, make yeah. it appear as though it's, it's just a split second I, I i'm very happy to do that um what was your first question again? Visual imagery. Oh, oh yes. So we've talked about other complementary forms of prayer. So visual imagery is something that can be done um, with liturgical prayer, including the praying of the psalm. So I have an icon corner. Um, I would always rather we set up icons or had images as a focus uh, when we prayed the office. Uh, and... I think if we went out to an institution, I'd take the, the three core images with me and set those up. So Christ on the cross, the suffering Christ, the risen Christ, and then Our Lady uh, are the sort of core uh, of that. And through those prototypes, you could, you could, they encapsulate in many ways the, what salvation history is about, the, um, the life the death and the resurrection and ascension, uh, the rising of Christ. Um, and so it's possible to do this. But in conjunction with the liturgical, then there are these other um, sorts of prayer, things like um, personal prayer that's, uh, and contemplative prayer 
And all of these uh, enrich, if you like, our worship. And so um, we, ha- we'll, we did a, a show um, a few weeks ago on praying with visual imagery. And that, the focus of that was <clears throat> a sort of contemplative prayer. Um, and I try and do some, something like that every day as well. Um, and so I, I've, it's been one of those things that uh, I couldn't possibly have taken this on in the way that I do it when I began. It's just, I've just, each increment has, there's over 25 years or something has just seemed natural to me. Um, so, uh, yes, praying with visual imagery is very important. Um, not only because it engages the sight and stops us, you know, it, it's in giving us a, a source of the word, if you like, in a different sort of way, um, but it's developing that ability to connect um, symbol with reality. That we, through our imaginations, we see the image, and our mind goes to the prototype, the real person in heaven. And th- that is a leap of faith, that, that we have to believe that that person exists in order to make that leap. And every believer has to, has to do that in this life because we don't see God directly. Uh, even if we see the Christ present in the Blessed Sacrament, it's under the appearance of bread. And so we have to make a leap of faith to God in heaven if I can put it that way mm-hmm. and so the more we get used to engaging with symbols and signs and seeing what things are and also what they point to mm-hmm. um, most things everything that is created in some way is a, is a sign of the one who created it, it so even my handwriting is characteristic of me and God's creation, we're all beings uh, that in some way reflect the mark of the creator. Mankind does so in a special way, made in the image and likeness. And we can't, we have to develop that faculty for making those connections in faith. And I'm convinced that it's the lack of the engagement, especially with visual imagery in the Western church, that has... um, has played a part, along with other things, it's not the only thing, but has played a huge part in the decline of faith. And this has been, it's probably at least 200 years old, this process of liturgy being a, a one of drawing into oneself and not, in, not engaging with the, the visual in the same sort of way. Hmm. It might even be longer than that. Very interesting. Well, shall we... Close with a, a psalm. Okay. Okay, so uh, we ha- we're going to do two little things here, two little cameos. Uh, and these just come from what we sang together last Monday in our men's group. So the first is Psalm 37. Uh, we'll just sing the first few verses. I will start the tone. And then we also have, we're we're in the convent that was originally dedicated to St. Jerome, the convent building. So we sing, we always begin with a hymn to St. Jerome. And I think we'll just go out with that. And um, maybe we'll just sing all those verses. And as you listen to it, you can 
do a fade out or something. <laughs> um, but what you're going to hear, those who are listening to this, is that we, we do drones. And so you'll hear um, one voice singing the melody and one droning. And we might be alternating or we might not. Um, and this is something that uh, works very well in a sort of an all-male group, we, we find. It has a strong appeal. Okay. Fret not thyself because of the ungodly, neither be thou envious against the evil doers, for they shall be cut down like the grass, and be withered even as the green herb. Put thou thy trust in the Lord and be doing good. Dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thou in the Lord, and he shall give thee thy heart's desire. Commit thy way unto the Lord, and put thy trust in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall make thy righteousness as clear as the light and thy just dealing as the noonday. Hold thee still in the Lord, and abide patiently upon him, but grieve not thyself at him whose way doth prosper against the man that doeth after evil counsels. Leave off from wrath, and let go displeasure. Fret not thyself, else shalt thou be moved to do evil. Wicked doers shall be rooted out, and they that patiently abide the Lord, those shall inherit the land. Okay, let's stop there. You get the feeling. And now we'll go on to the St. Jerome. So you'll hear me singing the melody. And Charlie, you do the the drone when you're ready. Jerome, now, Lord, with festive praise, a star for us of wondrous rays, outstanding by his teaching clear, and by his steadfast life severe. He strove by careful scholarship, our dogmas and discipleship, to clarify and in dispute, a raging line their foes refute. By sweat the scriptures' verdant field, he farmed and shared the fruitful yield, his table ever offered place to all who sought the food of grace. Desirous of the desert's peace, he watched Christ's cradle without cease to crucify his flesh like Christ, an offering and sacrifice. Lord, may the prayers of Saint Jerome conduct us to our final home where we will join him in your praise with all the saints for endless days. Amen.
You've been listening to the Way of Beauty podcast, conversations on Catholic faith and culture. If you enjoyed this episode, then please give us a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others to find it too. Also, if you're interested in delving more deeply into the material that we discuss, you can do a course at the Pontifex University website. That's pontifex.university. You've been listening to the Way of Beauty podcast, conversations on Catholic faith and culture. If you enjoyed this episode, then please give us a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others to find it too. Also, if you're interested in delving more deeply into the material that we discuss, you can do a course at the Pontifex University website. That's pontifex.university.